Hello and welcome to a more perfect podcast. This is part three of my 2020 election trilogy. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, then please go back and listen to them because this episode's not going to make any sense if you haven't listened to those first two parts. So definitely go back and listen to them if you haven't already. First off, I just want to say that I know election fraud is super irrelevant right now with all the racial justice protests going on. Derek Chauvin got convicted yesterday as I'm recording this. It's crazy. There's there's a, so much going on, and I know that election fraud is like the last thing on everyone's minds, but I got to be honest with you guys. I was really invested in this project, and I had to put it into a product for you guys to hear. I had researched this so much, and I just couldn't really leave it to the dustbin. I know it's really not relevant, but I just wanted to get it out there and get it out of my head. So all three of these past episodes have been kind of the product of me doing that. So I can move on to much more relevant stuff. This episode, however, is going to be all about resolving the paradox that I laid out in part one. So the paradox was essentially that I believed that the election was legitimate and illegitimate at the same time. Two opposite states existing at the same time is what's called a paradox. I did not believe that the election was fraudulent. There wasn't enough fraud to alter the election result. And I simultaneously believed that the election was rigged. And so these beliefs about the election, they come from opposite sides of the aisle. And yet I said I believed in both. So that's a paradoxical belief. So if you hold a paradoxical belief, then the question becomes, how do you resolve this paradox? The paradox of the 2020 election can be resolved by looking at the terms we use to describe it. What is the difference between a rigged election and a fraudulent election? Between a rigged process and a fraudulent process? To demonstrate the difference between these two terms, I kind of want to do a thought experiment here, so follow along with me. Think of a horse race, like the Kentucky Derby, for instance. In this horse race, one horse is starting halfway down the track. When the race starts, the horse that is halfway down the track is always going to win because he's halfway down the track. That would be a rigged race. A rigged process is one which can only have one outcome because of how it is structured. The race itself had one horse starting ahead of the others. Therefore, that horse would always be the winner. It was a rigged process. Fraudulent is a little different. So with a fraudulent race, imagine that there's two jockeys and they're both competing. And one jockey injects the opposing horse with a sleeping drug And when they both start from the starting line, the horse with the drug is going to run slower and the jockey is going to win. That jockey's win is fraudulent because he had the cheat to win. It was a fair game, but the winner used dishonest tactics. The winner cheated to win. So the difference comes in where the dishonesty lies. In the 2020 election, neither candidate cheated in the election. The votes around the country 
were not widespread fraud. Rather, the 2020 election itself was dishonest. The votes weren't dishonest. The election itself was. The truth is that Joe Biden was always going to win the 2020 election. The election was over before it started because powerful interests and extremely influential individuals rigged the election before it even began. Before November 3rd, they already knew what was going to happen because they had orchestrated it that way. I know that sounds crazy, and I know that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's true. Believe it or not, they admitted so themselves in a Time Magazine article. None other than Time Magazine brought us the real truth about the 2020 election. The article was called The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. I know, it sounds straight out of a fiction novel, but let's read through this article. And then you'll see exactly how democracy died in the United States of America. The article starts off saying a weird thing happened at the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militias were girding for battle. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voiced concern about violence. Instead, an eerie quiet descended. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead, as people thronged cities across the United States to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. A second odd thing happened. Amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result, corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede. To the president, something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the United States Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO, think all the labor unions in the United States, published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain, inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive, racial justice protest, <laughs> racial justice protest, in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. This is where it gets really exciting. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election. An extraordinary shadow effort, their words, not mine, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, yeah right, but to ensuring it would be free and fair, credible, and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to show up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic 
and an autocratically inclined president. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. This, this, scenario, this is just shocking. The scenario the shadow campaigns were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. Yeah, right. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that had been a hallmark of, of America since its founding. I love how they say that most of the activists were left-leaning, but they totally weren't trying to, you know, get Trump to lose or anything, and they totally weren't just trying to get Biden in the White House. No. No, that's not it at all. They were, uh... Uh, trying to save democracy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. Fortification. Also, one other thing, because I see time is trying to cover its ass. Just because Republicans and nonpartisans are on this committee doesn't mean that it's nonpartisan. Or, th or even that it's bipartisan. Let me, in let me let you in on something. Half of CNN's GOP commentators backed Biden in the 2020 election. Just because it says Republican doesn't mean that they're supporting Trump. It could mean that they are a Republican that doesn't like Trump. And so that Republican would join an effort to uh, fortify. <laughs> fortify. I think a much better name for it is rigged. So we'll say to rig the 2020 election. Fortify your own victory. The article continues later on. It says, protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale. As 2020 progressed, it stretched to Congress, Silicon Valley, and the nation's state houses. It drew energy from the summer's racial justice protests. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every single time I see... Every single time I see racial justice, I just laugh because, like, bruh, they're literally trying to overthrow the United States, and you think it's... Oh, man. They still think it's racial justice. Whew. Anyways, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance. Of course they were. And eventually, it reached across the aisle into the world of Trump-skeptical Republicans appalled by his attacks on democracy. Well... I guess they aren't trying to cover their ass after all. They really are just prideful idiots. Notice, though, how earlier in the article they said Republicans, and now later on in the article, they're saying Trump-skeptical Republicans. So they give off the impression that this effort to rig the election was a effort that spanned across ideological lines, and it was just a coming together of, of, of ordinary Americans Despite their differences, they came together to save democracy. And then later, they kind of break the ice and tell you that, no, actually, all these people were kind of on the same side here. And they were really just kind of left-leaning, left-sympathetic, in the quote-unquote Republicans' case, left-sympathetic activists and corporate entities. It really is deceptive. Speaking of corporate entities, the article continues... Later on, when it talks about disinformation defense, and it says that bad actors spreading false information is nothing new. 
For decades, campaigns have grappled with everything from anonymous calls claiming the election has been rescheduled to flyers spreading nasty smears about the candidates' families. You know, just, just a normal American election, guys. But Trump's lies and conspiracy theories, the viral force of social media, and the involvement of foreign meddlers made disinformation a broader, deeper threat to the 2020 vote. So, I want you to notice something about this article. They mentioned Trump so much, and yet, at the beginning, they reassure you. They're like, oh, we weren't even trying to defeat Trump here, and yet... They say they aren't trying to defeat Trump, and yet they recruit Trump-skeptical Republicans, leftist groups, encourage vote-by-mail, which is something that Trump didn't like. They do all these explicitly anti-Trump moves. So they're moving against Donald Trump here. It's an anti-Trump effort to fortify democracy against a candidate that would destroy it if he were to win. So we must rig the election so that only Biden can win. Nobody's vote counts. We control how this election's going to go. But it gets so much better. This massive effort also pressured social media platforms to enforce their rules, both by removing content or accounts that spread disinformation and by more aggressively policing it in the first place. The, the platforms have policies against certain types of malign behavior, but they haven't been enforcing them, one of the activists said. In November 2019, Mark Zuckerberg invited nine civil rights leaders to dinner at his home, where they warned him about the danger of the election-related falsehoods that were already spreading unchecked. It took pushing, urging, conversations, brainstorming, all of that to get to a place where we ended up with more rigorous rules and enforcement, says Vanita Gupta, president and CEO of Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights who attended the dinner and also met with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and others. Gupta has been nominated for Associate Attorney General by President Biden, go figure. It was a struggle, but we got to the point where they understood the problem. Was it enough? Probably not. Was it later than we wanted? Yes. But it was very, but it was really important, given the level, given the level of official disinformation, that they had those rules in place and were tagging things and were taking them down. That's right. A leftist cabal went to big tech, told them to enforce their rules, and take down disinformation, remove disinformation. Of course, if you're not an idiot, you know that disinformation is everything that goes against the leftist narrative. If somebody had said, for instance, on Twitter, what I said in the last episode, which was that most European democracies ban mail-in ballots, and all of them require photo ID to be able to vote, your post would have been censored, taken down, or hidden from your followers. On Instagram, my account is shadow banned. None of my followers, or barely any of them, can see what I post. 
and I post a lot about the politics of the day, giving my commentary. But I'm shuttle banned. And so the disinformation, anti-disinformation platforms protect users. <laughs> they protect users from my content. Yeah, it really is that bad. It gets really good later on in the article, though. So, later on in the article, it talks all about the need for this leftist cabal to explain this rapidly changing election process and to reassure everyone that mail-in voting could never be susceptible to fraud and that it was a perfectly secure process. And so, they talk about their reaching out to bipartisan groups and to message to the public that it's all going to be okay and that, you know, evil orange man is wrong. So, it talks about this dude named Zach Wamp. Zach Wamp is a former GOP congressman. Notice how it says former. And worked through the nonpartisan reform group, Issue 1, to rally Republicans to this effort to message to the public that mail-in voting is okay. He says... We thought we should bring some bipartisan element of unity around what constitutes a free and fair election. The 22 Democrats and 22 Republicans on the National Council on Election Integrity met on Zoom at least once a week. They ran ads in six states, made statements, wrote articles, and alerted public officials to potential problems. Zach says, We had rabid Trump supporters who agreed to serve on the council, listen closely, based on the idea that this is honest. This is going to be just as important, he told them, to convince the liberals when Trump wins. Whichever way it cuts, we're going to stick together. Notice, he says, we had rapid Trump supporters who agreed to serve on the council based on the idea that this is honest. This is going to be just as important, he told them, to convince the liberals when Trump wins. Yeah, sounds pretty freaking shady. Really shady. Sounds like he was lying to them, playing off of their partisan opposition to Democrats and liberals, and just trying to get the, just trying to save face for his shadowy leftist cabal that he was really supporting here. I don't care what the hell they were doing. This is some shady crap. They were also trying to message to the public that the election would not be decided on election night. They created memes, graphics, spread by email, text, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and urging that every vote be counted. Together, they were viewed more than one billion times. Protect Democracy's election task force issued reports and held media briefings with high-profile experts across the political spectrum. Again, that should be in quotes. Resulting in widespread coverage of potential election issues and fact-checking of Trump's false claims. There's another anti-Trump move. But don't worry, it's, it's all about protecting democracy. Definitely. It really had an effect on people too. And by election night, the percentage of the public that knew that the election wasn't going to be decided until a few days later was over 70%. In other words, the stuff they created worked in influencing people's perception about this election. It was incredibly effective. The article continues, and it's, it's so 
shocking, I don't even know what to call it. It continues. Under the section, People Power, so you know it's about to get spicy. The racial justice uprising sparked by George Floyd's killing in May, it writes, was not primarily a political movement. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it's so funny. The organizers who helped lead it the organizers who helped lead it wanted to harness its momentum for the election without allowing it to be co-opted by politicians. Pfft. Yeah. Many of, the po- many of those organizers are part of Podhorser's network. Podhorser is the head honcho. From the activists in battleground states who participated with Democracy Defense Coalition to organizations with leading roles in the movement for black lives. It's, this, is so, this is so messed up. The best way to ensure people's voices were heard that decided it was to protect their ability to vote. We started, we started thinking about a program that would complement the traditional election protection area, but also did not rely on calling the police. They created a force of election defenders who, unlike traditional poll watchers, were trained in de-escalation techniques. During early voting and on election day, they surrounded areas of voters in urban areas with a joy to the polls effort that turned the act of casting a ballot into a street party. Black organizers also recruited thousands of poll workers to ensure polling places would stay open in their communities. The summer uprising, at least they're being honest, the summer uprising had shown that people power could have a massive impact. Activists, this is really damning, activists began preparing to reprise the demonstrations, not riots, just demonstrations, reprise the demonstrations if Trump tried to steal the election. Reuters wrote in October, Americans plan widespread protests if Trump interferes with election. More than 150 liberal groups, from the Women's March to the Sierra Club to Color of Change from Democrats.com to the Democratic Socialists of America, joined the Protect the Results Coalition. The group's now defunct website had a map. This is written directly in the article. The group's now defunct website had a map of listing 400 planned post-election demonstrations to be activated via text message as soon as November 4th to stop the coup they feared. The left was ready to flood the streets. All of this was coordinated from the beginning. This isn't crazy. This is what they admitted to in Time magazine. Read the damn article yourself. This is how democracy died. They are coordinated, they are ready, and they are already in power. Because they did secure this election. They did fortify our democracy. And our democracy as we know it is changed forever because of their cabal's heinous actions against our country. These nitwits continue with their prideful admission of destroying our democracy. And they talk about their efforts after the election and on January 6th. So basically after the election, they come out swinging with a dash of racist Republican narrative when they say that the Republicans were in Detroit, heckling the mostly black workers, 
crowding the vote counting tables and refusing to wear masks. Because in case you didn't know, according to Time Magazine, if you are a Republican, then you are not only a racist, but you're also you're also a degenerate who crowds tables and refuses to wear your mask. Because that's apparently what degenerates do nowadays, is not wear masks. Yeah, this is new information to me too. Also, you should know that the cabal sent dozens of counter-demonstrators to this one center where votes were being tallied and the Republicans were, you know, being degenerates, according to Time Magazine. They literally sent one text and it says within 45 minutes, dozens upon dozens of activists arrived. It's like an army. It really is. If, you, if you've ever seen Star Wars, remember the droids that would take commands from the big ship? This is exactly like that, except real life and politics. It's crazy. The amount of coordination, the amount of stickiness that this entire effort had to it. It's disgusting. If you value any shred of honesty, look at this. This is a coordinated effort to fortify the election in their favor. I know the word unprecedented is used a lot today, but I have to say, to my knowledge, this is truly unprecedented. This article continues for the January 6th protests and uh, the Capitol raid on January 6th, and it talks about how there was coordinated no counter-protesters there, and that, or, or at least not a visible presence of counter-protesters. It is debatable as to whether there was counter-protesters there or not. Some people say that it was Antifa in the crowd the entire time. Not very sure on that claim. I personally don't think it's true, but yeah, whatever. But the uh, cabal made sure that there was no visible presence there because they didn't want to be seen as the bad guys. And uh, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was coordinated as well. Pretty insane how much they were able to coordinate and how much they were able to pull together. These activist groups being so, it's like an ant hive. And they all are coordinated with their different tunnels and everything. It is incredible. I, I keep saying it again and again, but this article is really one of the most shocking things I have ever read on this podcast by far. Please read it yourself. I'm going to move on from this article now, talk about some other stuff, talk about some lighter stuff for this podcast, and uh, pretty much wrap up this episode. So again, read it for yourself. I link it in my source notes. It's a very, very enlightening article. I want to hit on one more thing that really drives home the corruption, the rigged nature of this past presidential election. So there was a survey taken on November 9th through the 18th in 2020. So this is right after Biden was declared the winner. It was taken by the Media Research Center and it was 1,750 Biden voters 
in seven swing states. 82% of them were either unaware of Trump's biggest accomplishments or the most damning truths about who they were actually voting for. For instance, the Hunter Biden scandal was censored by Twitter from ever being shared when the New York Post broke the story. Or the fact that Kamala Harris was declared the most leftist senator even ahead of Bernie Sanders. Out of these 82% which were unaware, 17% of them would have shifted their vote from Biden to Donald Trump or at least away from Biden in the 2020 election if they had known. The media, the leftist cabal, and all the people in between controlled the outcome of this election. The poll is proof that selective reporting, lying, dishonesty, and fake news help distort the truth so that they can always win. Because remember, you don't have to cheat at a game you know you're going to win. This stuff is very discouraging. From a shadowy leftist cabal that rigged our election in 2020 to big tech censoring truth that could have shifted the election outcome if only people had known. It's a nasty, nasty political climate out there. And unfortunately, the people who rigged the election got exactly what they wanted. So it's up to us to take this country back in 2022 and to have an honest election in 2024. I want to give out some hope here to end this trilogy though. I don't want to totally make everyone who listens to this episode just an absolute pessimist about the future of our elections. There is a path in this forest. The forest may be overgrown, the path may be narrow, but there is historical precedent for a great political comeback. In 1824, there was a corrupt bargain which stole the election from Andrew Jackson. He came back four years later in 1828 to an overwhelming populist victory fueled by a righteously aggrieved following. There was also Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland was the 22nd and 24th president of the United States. He served non-consecutive terms. So not only is there president for political comeback in the form of Andrew Jackson, but there's also precedent for non-consecutive terms. It's happened before. It's a long shot, but what else do we really have? It's happened before, and it can happen again if we fight hard enough. How do we fight against all this corruption? I encourage you to share this podcast with all of your friends, your family, and everyone who is interested in the future of this nation. Share the podcast. I am on every single platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. I'm even on Audacity now. Every single platform that has podcasts, my podcast can be streamed. So tell everyone you know about it. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and help protect our nation 
from being fortified again. This podcast carries valuable information that you won't find anywhere else. Opinions and insights that you're not going to find anywhere else on the internet. It's a vital resource in protecting our country. So please share it with everybody you know. And with that, thank you for listening to my election fraud trilogy and have a more perfect day.